Welcome to the Open Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host and daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. And we have a guest today that um, I really identify with, Heidi, because uh, she's also a clinical nurse specialist in psychiatric nursing, as I am. But uh, her name's Wendy Resnick. And Wendy specializes in group leadership training and has been a consultant for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and the Compassionate Friends. She's been with the Compassionate Friends for a long time, and it's strange because Wendy and I are just meeting up now, but I'm excited to have her on because she assists professionals and lay people in developing and maintaining support groups nationwide. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Gloria. Hi, Heidi. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you on the show today, and I'm excited to talk about groups because I know people that are listening to the show are thinking about, you know, groups like the Compassionate Friends, which is a lay group, and they're also professionally run groups, and they're thinking, what is this about groups? Why would I want to join a group, and, and what do groups do for people, Wendy? The Compassionate Friends and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and many other organizations around the world have the mutual goal of assisting people by offering a support network. And the support network is often in the form of groups. And the groups are involving people from the communities to come and to share. And the purpose of the groups is, in fact, to share experiences related to living and coping with whatever the purpose of the group is. So, for example, with the Compassionate Friends, the purpose of those groups is to share experiences related to living as a bereaved parent or family member. So for someone who has had a child die, a family member, a parent, a sibling, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, their goal would be or purpose would be likewise to share experiences related to living as a person who has lost a loved one to suicide. So depending on what the organization's content is or what their mission is involving suicide survivors or involving bereaved parents, it would be slightly changed. So the the groups themselves are support groups and they share experiences related to living with whatever that fill-in-the-blank would be. And in coming together like that, people are able to express their feelings, talk about their experiences, and hear other people's. And through that mutual help, are able to gain confidence, support, ideas. Um, I don't want to say advice because back to the purpose of the groups, it's not about giving advice. It's more about sharing experiences. But through hearing other people's experiences, you get ideas. Mm, I and like you get that. ideas that might work for you. You know, regarding the group process, now you're saying they're going to share experiences. I, I hear sometimes hear people say that they're afraid of hearing other people's experience. It'll make them too sad. Yeah. Well, that that I have heard that as well, Gloria. I, I think that some people are ready to come to a group like this, and they know that they're ready because they come and they find that they're very helpful, that the groups are very helpful to them. Some people may not be ready, and they wouldn't know that until they came. Now, and the readiness yeah. is sometimes just a personal thing. It, it can be, you know, maybe not not something that's helpful for you at that time, but to try it is important. We always encourage people to try three meetings mm. just to see, because sometimes the first time, like anything new, feels a little bit strange. It's just unknown. 
and then the second time is a little more comfortable. And being with people that have had a similar experience to you is so comforting for people, for all of us. When we're with other people that have couldn't, in the, in the external world, the way we live our lives, it's very difficult to just meet people that happen to have had, for example, a child die or happen to have lost a loved one to suicide or whatever the, the case may be or have a family member with a certain identified disease. It's very difficult and it, it's, it's often common to feel isolated. So these groups, what they do is they bring us into a setting where for the first time people can talk to each other in an open way about things that they have experienced, ask for ideas, talk about solutions to problems together. Okay, Wendy, let me say one thing now. I'm listening to the show, and okay, you've convinced me, and actually, I go to a group, or I go to Compassionate Friends. My problem is, I think my husband should be going with me. Now, what am I going to do about that? Yeah, well, as we know, we can't make anybody do anything. (laughs) But what we can do is we can ask, and we can say, how about, would you mind going with me? And even if if your husband wanted to be quiet and just be there as a support to you, you could ask him from that perspective. And maybe, and this does happen, just by coming, he would start to feel more comfortable just by being there. Even if he was quiet, he would see that there were other men. He might hear some things that were helpful. Sometimes the groups will split up into a men's group and have the women in one, the men in the other, depending on the size of the group on any given night. And sometimes that can be very, very helpful to have for for us to be able to just share gender, you know, separate issues. But most of the time, even when the groups are together, it, it's just comforting to be around people that know how you feel. You're saying you don't have to talk in these groups? Can I say I pass? Yes, you can. And that's what the group facilitator is trained to do, is to, first of all, learn how to facilitate an effective and constructive group meeting, and then to know the structure of the meeting. So what should I do during this part? How do I do an introduction? How do I go around and let people introduce themselves, and what if someone doesn't want to speak? What do I say? So hopefully I get with a with a trained leader. Um, Heidi, you want to chime in on the siblings at all? <laughs> How do you get them? How do you get them to go to a group? Yeah. A national front group? Yeah, or any group. I think that, uh, you know, there's something that people have said that if you go three times to a group, you should probably go three times before you make a decision. And I think the thing that, with the brief siblings is that, after the third time, they, they develop friendships with people. And then they want to go back to connect with the friends that they've made there. And that's what gets them in. It, it is very hard initially to get people to want to go because the groups represent the loss. And sometimes you're kind of ambivalent. You want to talk about the loss, but you also want to avoid it. So it's hard to initially want to get excited about going to a group, but they are so powerful. And I know one of the things it's done for me and that it does for a lot of brief siblings is it just normalizes our loss. We know we're not alone. We know other people have been through a sibling loss because, you know, when you've lost a brother or sister, especially when they were young, you feel like no one has ever had that experience. And certainly when Scott died when I was 20 and he was 17, 
None of my friends had ever, ever lost a brother or sister. The first people I ever met that had had that experience were at the Convention of Friends. Thanks, Heidi. I also wanted to ask you this question, Wendy. People seem to think that sometimes related to suicide, that if you go to a group and you are around people who have had a suicide, that it's risky. Somebody else could kill themselves. It could happen to you. It's contagious or, you know, whatever. What are your thoughts, you know, for family members to come where there's been a suicide? Does it put their other family members at risk? And do you hear that? Well, depending on the type of group, I think we'd have to talk specifically about that, looking at what type of group you're talking about, Gloria, because if we're talking about a compassionate friends group, for example, bereaved parents, as you know, often feel like maybe I'd be better off dead, maybe I'd be better with my child. And that is a very normal reaction of grief. And grief is a very normal process. And those feelings are bound to occur and being able to express those feelings because they can be scary to experience by yourself with other people that have felt that way in a very safe environment with a facilitator that is trained to know what to do, you know, and how to how to effectively manage people talking about these these issues is a very important thing. It's a way of people diffusing their anxiety. About I love the fact that you've normalized the uh fact that people do feel like that they wish they would join them sometimes and all that. But, you know, it's a wholly different thing if you've got a plan. I remember thinking after Scott died that, you know, I really, you know, want to join him. I didn't want to be here. And I remember my 14-year-old daughter saying, I wish I'd been in the car with them when they got killed, you know, that kind of thing. But but that's a whole lot of difference uh, between the suicide thing. Have you got a thought on that, Heidi? I totally agree with you. When Scott died, I definitely felt like I didn't want to be here anymore because the pain was so great, and I did want to join him. And like, like you said, I think that's really normal mm-hmm. to feel that way as long as you don't have a plan and access to a plan. Now, what about going to a suicide group where you've actually had a suicide? And I know you uh, do things with the American uh, Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Don't you hear people sometimes saying, if I'm around, you know, it puts my family at risk to even if we've had a family member die by suicide, to go in and talk about it? Actually, it it's very similar to the groups with bereaved parents where when a loved one dies by suicide as a result of a very serious depressive illness because people don't die by suicide unless they're very ill with a depressive illness or a substance abuse-related issue that, that may have in, encouraged more of an impulsive response. Um, so depression is usually, as in the illness of depression, is usually a huge underlying risk factor for suicide or substance use. And so when, when this occurs for people, when they have a loved one die by suicide, they're, very, they're usually either very aware that this is an illness that caused this or it was an illness that hadn't been identified that caused this. And though they may themselves feel the same feelings that you both have expressed, that with the grief response, feeling so sad as a result of the loss, just not wanting to live, they also are grieving through that. And over time, those feelings will become less and less, unless they also have a depressive illness or they develop a depressive illness that then might cause them to feel feelings of depression, which would include a loss of interest in lots of different activities, not just related to their loved one. 
and possible suicidal thoughts and feelings. With teenagers, there's been some documentation, and I know we've all seen this on national news, of copycat suicides in the high schools and things like that. And that is a concern. But these groups that we're talking about are adult groups, so for people that are over 18. They're led by people that have been trained to lead groups for the purpose of sharing experiences. So it's not therapy groups. And they can also be led by professionals, but the purpose is still the same. They're not therapy groups in these cases, these support groups. Therapy groups are something very different. How, how would I know um, whether I should get individual? And is it okay if I go to a group, a self-help group, while I'm in therapy with a therapist, with a psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever? And I know there are some uh, psychologists and therapists who you don't particularly love group uh, self-help groups. Can you comment on that, those thoughts? Well, I, I was hoping that that has changed. I do hope that has changed over time. Um, I think it depends on the therapist or professional. Often if the therapist or professional has had unfortunate experiences where their patient or client has not had a good experience with a, a mutual help, we call them, or self-help support group, that um, they may not continue to refer, and that would be what you might be, Gloria, uh, talking about with not as good experiences um, that they've had. It would be because their patients have not had good experiences, if that's been the case. But generally, what we hope is that these groups with professionally trained, with not professionally, but with, with really good training, whether they're professionals or not, as leaders, that these groups run well and that if they are focused on the purpose, which is to share experiences, that nobody's giving advice. So people tend to have a really good experience in a group where everybody is just talking from their own experience because they're saying, I experienced this. This has been, this is what I went through. Nobody's giving advice to each other at all. And the trained facilitator knows that when someone does give advice, how to just gently intervene and say, okay, let's get back on the track of sharing experiences. What has been your experience? Right. Well, let me chime in and ask Heidi, uh, what's your thought about, uh, would you, do you refer to groups? Heidi, what's your thought? You're in private practice. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I am in private practice and I do have a lot of clients that, that are involved in groups professionally and peer-based both and find them very helpful. Being in a group therapy situation is so different than an individual whether it's just a peer group or a professional therapy group, especially if people are in a lot of pain and feel isolated and, and you know, are early on in their grief. I think the more, more support you can get, the better, personally. I was just going to say, I think that peer support, which is this mm-hmm. kind of group where you're just sharing experiences versus therapy group where you have a therapist who is doing therapy in a group setting, they are very different. And I think they're both very helpful. And it for the person who doesn't feel they need therapy, but they just want to go to be with other people uh, to to share, so that they don't feel alone, so that when they leave, they can feel like I have I have people I can talk to. Because let's face it, people don't understand if you've had a child die if they've never had that experience. They have no idea how you, how you feel, and they don't even know what to say to you, and often say the wrong thing because in their own ignorance of not knowing what to say and trying to be supportive perhaps, they, they just, they can't imagine it. So they say something that may be really not helpful to you. Well, well and after 9-11, I ran sibling loss groups, but they were, they, were, they were not therapy groups. 
and they weren't peer support because I was there. It was more of workshops, and it was for siblings that had lost someone in 9-11, and they all came together monthly, and it was so powerful because here all these siblings had had their brothers, their firefighter brothers, die in exactly the same way on exactly the same day. Wow. And, and who could wow. relate more than this group of people to each other? Yeah, amazing. It was a really powerful experience. And I kind of sat more in the background and just watched process, you know, and, and watched mm-hmm. them support each other. And it was it was really powerful for the siblings that were there. Well, I'm going to chime in because I run a group um, in uh, California. I'm, I'm part of a group. I, actually, I'm not the chapter leader right now. And one of the things that has struck me most by watching the group and the group process, the thing I find most powerful is the different stages people are in of grief time-wise, because people come in and they are so devastated. They come in in a month or two, and they are devastated. And then they see people who are a little further down the road and a little further than that, and people that are smiling again. And they go to the National Conference of the Compassionate Friends, and it, you know we see them there. And it is such a community. And seeing the hope that it gives people when they see other people who are moving along and having a life again. And uh, it, it's, I think that the power of groups uh, of seeing that process is, is absolutely amazing. Agreed. And the, the connections that people make with each other, not just individually, but with the group as a whole, and they feel like it's their group. It's not the facilitator's group, it's their group. And there's a principle that we talk about in the field of mutual help groups, and it's the helpee and the helper. And so you have the person that has had the experience and been coming for a while, or maybe that's further along in their on their path after dealing with whatever that the issue is that they're coming to the group for, that's the helper. And then the helpee is the person that's maybe more vulnerable, more new, has just had this happen for them. And you would think that it's always the helper helping the helpee. But what's really amazing is that the helpee, the person who is often newer and more vulnerable, is just as helpful to the helper, to the person that's been coming, that's maybe six months out, you know, of, of whatever, of the loss, etc., that they are able to help each other equally with their grief, their grief then and sadness and all of those feelings start to turn into service to help each other. Oh, let's stop on that note. That is great. The service to help each other. I think that is so true. It's time for us to end the show now, Wendy. And I want to thank you so much for being on and also for all the wonderful work you've done. You've impacted so many people. I mean, it's huge because I know you work basically with group leaders and, and, you know, people who are running these groups and helping them. And wow, that just filters down to impact so many people. And thank you so much for all the work you've done. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, Heidi, I hope that people who listen to this will think about a group, maybe even starting if they're 18 months out, they can start their own Compassionate Friends group. If you don't have one in your area, you can get in touch, go to the Compassionate Friends website and sign up to be a group leader and start your own group and get some training. And if you're earlier in the process, you can certainly attend a group, go online and find out where groups are in your area. So good thing, huh, Heidi? Oh, absolutely. It's, groups are very, very powerful and can be life-changing. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. And Heidi and I want to remind you that if you've lost hope, we want to give you the offer to lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless.